Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of AMA. I'm going to be answering your questions right now. And by the way, if you ever want to have one of your questions answered, you need only email connect at impacttheory.com. That's connect at impacttheory.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Brick by Brick. You can go right now to shop.impacttheory.com and get yours all about self-signaling being true to your identity, which is something I was just thinking of today, that your identity really does drive your behavior. And that's what all of the items on our store is meant to be about, things that help you craft your identity so that you can absolutely smash it and do all the things you guys want to do. All right, without further delay, here's the first question. This is from Julian Brangold. I'm a visual artist. I make abstract paintings. I have days where I see my work and feel proud and have the feeling it's gonna be super successful. And other days where I see it and think it's shit. I can't help but doubt myself half the time. How can I work against imposter syndrome when I'm objectively already good at what I do, but have days where I can't believe in myself and days where I do? So I think that everybody has days where they struggle with whether or not they're gonna be able to pull off their dream, whether they are an imposter, whether they're actually good or talented. And the important thing that I do in those moments is I remind myself that if I'm having that moment of crisis, and maybe I'm right, maybe I'm really not good, well, the answer is maybe I'm not good yet. And as long as I remember that even if what I'm finally realizing is the truth that I'm not yet a good painter, a good business person, a good whatever it is that you're struggling with, well, the reality is I can get good. And so it's really about if there's a skill that I'm missing that I can go out and acquire that skill and I'm gonna to have to put in the work, but I've gotten as far as I've gotten in life being bad at whatever it is that I'm worried about and I need to remember that at any time if I wanna apply more energy into getting good at that thing that I can and the only thing that's damaging, especially for an artist, is when you think it is a permanent state of affairs that you're not good at something. If you remember, remind yourself, repeat in your head over and over and over and over and over relentlessly that you can get good. So even if you're not, that's not a death sentence. And that's where people really get hung up is they are so convinced that this realization that they're not good is somehow bad or devastating. It's simply a reminder that you can get good. So I wouldn't worry about it. On the days you're feeling good, go kill it, crush it, lead with that confidence, let it really help you create your best art. 
But on the days where you're not feeling confident, just remind yourself that maybe you really aren't that good and it doesn't matter because you can get good. So just put all of that energy into improving, into practicing, and don't think of it as some permanent state that means that you should quit or give up. It's when you quit and give up that you're going to go into the death spiral because not doing it, not pushing yourself, not getting better, not even getting the bad stuff out there is how you hold yourself back. And Seth Godin has an amazing quote about this and he says, every time somebody tells him that they're a bad writer, he says, oh yeah, show me your bad writing. And the reality is most people don't have any because they are so convinced that they're bad that they just stop and it's the stopping that becomes the problem, not the being bad. So just keep doing it. Keep putting out art and you're gonna get better over time even if you really are bad. And if it's just total bullshit, then just use that negative voice as a reminder to think something positive, get back out there and create something and keep going and keep moving forward. All right, next up, Sana Roof. And a gag from Wookie who has wandered on the set. What books would you recommend for someone to read who wants to start their own business but doesn't know much about business at all? What steps do you have to what steps do you have to take to get in the game? Okay, so the first book that I would recommend reading on the subject of building a business is The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. I think that that is one of the most important books on small businesses that there are and understanding the difference between working on your business and working in your business. It is really important to differentiate between the two and most people end up creating just a job for themselves. They're not able to scale the business because they're so myopically focused on doing that thing that they're unable to scale the business. And the example that he gives in the book is somebody who's a baker and what they end up doing instead of creating a baking business is they end up just essentially creating a very stressful job for themselves as a baker because they're doing all the baking, they also have to do all the bookkeeping and all of that, and so they have absolutely no time to grow their business, to get out from under the weight of the day-to-day obligations of the business, and that is the death knell for many people. And then I will say on top of that, the most important thing you could do in starting your business would be to just start your business. So rather than going out and reading a thousand books and thinking that somehow, some way, you're actually gonna be prepared to start your business, it's a bit like people always told me about having kids, which is that there's no right time to have a kid, just have one. Now that's terrible advice with kids because you can't just declare bankruptcy and walk away from a child, but you can a business. So if your business is an abject failure, you can walk away from it. Uh, And as long as you didn't get yourself into a crushing amount of debt, uh, it should be something that you can relatively easily, it's with some serious damage to your pride, of course, be able to walk away. And if you're really clever, you'll understand that letting it damage your pride is not very smart and that you really just need to be looking for the lesson, even in the failure, and going forward and doing it again next time, getting better, improving, and then having greater odds of success. So the only thing that I will say is try not to get yourself into debt. And also, I'm not a big fan of burning the ships of the shore. I get the motivation behind it, but the reality is, most of us are terrible at the beginning. So burning your ships at the shore does not make you a better fighter. It just means that you're gonna fight harder and that's awesome and that's definitely part of the equation. But being a great fighter is also something that is really important. But if you die on the shore where you burned your ship, you don't get time to become a better fighter. So my thing is keep the job and do a nights and weekends thing so that you're building your business, learning, making all the stupid mistakes early while you still have the paycheck coming in That is a far better way to do it, um, and I highly recommend that. Also, another strategy, and this is kind of the strategy that I employed in the beginning of my career, was I was a linchpin first, and then I translated that into ownership in the business, and then really, truly um, started embarking on 
It's only sort of true in terms of the timeline, but you get the idea. I had started companies before, they were all abject failures. And then it was um, once I had become a linchpin and really worked my way up inside of a startup that then I was able to go on and start very successful companies. Uh, but there was a really long learning curve. So doing something where you can protect yourself in that process, I think is really, really smart. And then might I suggest taking a job at a startup where um, there are a lot more opportunities and you're going to be able to um, dive really deep into some really important roles, even if you don't have the um, pedigree to do that. Startups are a great way if you're very okay with that company tanking um, and so that your resume may look a little bit awkward. But personally, if I had to do it over again, um, I would seriously consider doing that. Just immediately starting in startups where I can have really important jobs off the bat, um, outpace my pedigree just through hard work and really throwing myself into helping and being useful. Um, there's just usually greater opportunities to climb up. So um, even though those jobs may only last a year or two years uh, because so many companies fail, I think that you're gonna get a tremendous amount uh, out of doing that. So. Um, there, something I haven't actually talked much about. All right, next up, Dario. On my days when I'm feeling low and tired, my old mindset tends to sneak in and makes me question everything that I've done so far. I feel like it's easier to appreciate and acknowledge materialistic accomplishments than self-improved ones that aren't visible. How do I make myself appreciate my journey and self-improvements without seeking to hear it from others? Okay, so this is a game where you wanna start looking back on your life in 10-year increments. Um, if you're young, this should be really powerful because if you're 22 and you think back to when you were 12, I really hope that there is a chasm of knowledge and maturity, if nothing else. And then no matter what age you are beyond that, when you look back 10 years, you see just how much you've transformed. And don't discount yourself if you're you know, looking back to your uh, preteen years or your teenage years, because that's where you are. You're asking this from your earlier mid-20s. Um, it's still such a powerful example of how much a human being can transform. And I think most people just think, well, that's a natural part of growing and maturing. Exactly. And there is a natural part of growing and maturing that's going to keep happening your entire life. So it's called experience. So don't um, discount it and say, oh, well, that was you know, just experience when I was a kid. Everybody gets that. Instead, look at it and say, wow, I've really come a long way from the time that I was 13 or 15 or wherever your clock is. And then the same thing is true when you're you know, 32 and you're looking back to where you were 22. Oh my God, when I think back to how out of control I was um, in my early 20s, like that was a really incredible time for me uh, in my early 30s to start looking back at that 10-year horizon and realizing how much I was learning and how much I was growing. And if you're pushing yourself every day, that stuff really does stack up. So rather than look over the past six months or the past year, uh, get a window into how much you've changed in 10 years. And if you haven't changed in 10 years, um, then be honest with yourself. Use that as a kick in the ass that you need to hold yourself to a higher standard and to get started and get moving uh, and keep pushing yourself. So um, that is where I look to for those mental transformations that aren't always easy to see. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't worry about the materialistic stuff. In fact, materialistic stuff is usually not a one-way street. It sort of ebbs and flows, it comes, it goes. There's times you're making a lot of money, not a lot of money, um, and that doesn't really matter, but your skill set should be a one-way up and to the right. Um, so I would be focusing on that, making sure that you're getting better at things, that your skill set is stacking, that you're growing more powerful, uh, and hopefully everybody knows how I define power. It's not a Nikki thing. It's the ability to manifest the world, a beautiful world, a better world, the world that you want to create and having the skill set to actually bring that world to bear and to help other people uh, and not just yourself. So um, that's what I would judge yourself by. And you can um, 
maybe have a harder time with the metrics because it may not necessarily re re uh, reflect um, in a one-for-one -one in your bank account. But again, using that 10-year rule, uh, you can usually see some pretty dramatic transformations. Latifa McBride. Hi, Mr. Bilyeu. I think that's the first time somebody's called me Mr. Bilyeu on here. You may call me Tom. Uh, I have one question for you about emotional levity. I have a problem with emotional levity and letting things go. Do you have any tips or suggestions to gain levity? I love this question. So first of all, there's a region in your brain called the basal ganglia, and it's known as the gear shift in your mind. It's the thing that gets stuck in some people and gets them in the position where something negative happens and they keep obsessing over it and they're looping on it. And, oh God, they can't let it go. And they can't get to that emotional levity that you're talking about. Um, and for me, understanding that there was this gearbox in my brain really allowed me to have a visual metaphor that I could lean on when I was stuck and I was like, fuck this. And I would literally imagine myself shifting a gear into something new, into something positive. And just having that visual metaphor allowed me then to springboard out of that negativity, to move past it, to stop looping on that thing, to let it go, to understand that there was a biological process at play. And for me, that's always been incredibly valuable to know that so much of this stuff has a biological root and attacking it from that perspective and whether that's meditating to lower your stress and anxiety, whether that's using behavioral cognitive therapy such as Daniel Amen's um, squishing the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. And when you get good at using those behavioral techniques, so when a negative thought comes in, you stop it in its tracks, you recognize it as something negative, you force yourself to shift gears and repeat something positive in your head, now all of a sudden you're able to get out of that place where you're stuck. And then, might I suggest, emotional levity is often tied to your physicality. So when I find that I'm stuck, and I'm just in a funky mood for whatever reason, or this is amazing, start your day with the intention of getting in a rad mood. It's the same technique that I use for either case. I will put on a dope song that puts me in a rad mood. You can create a Spotify playlist where it's like, these are the five or six songs that always put me in a good mood, whatever it is. Move your body, dance to the song, get moving, feel good, and smile. Even if you're by yourself, laugh out loud. Even if you're by yourself, I cannot tell you how much that kind of thing helps. So getting those physiological hooks into changing your emotional state is incredibly potent. So I would practice doing those things and I think you'll see that you're able to really switch wherever you are emotionally pretty rapidly and then just practice getting that time frame from being stuck into emotional levity, getting it shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter and do whatever it takes. Get up, dance, run, work out, sing, smile, laugh, hug somebody, uh, whatever it takes, do that, get out of that funk um, and then prize the levity. So reward yourself when you do it and think about it as something that's positive. And I think all of those things will feed into you being able to get out of that physically based emotional state. You mentioned that you are constantly learning about the microbiome of the gut and the brain. You also have mentioned that you do only that which moves you towards your goals. To me, learning about the brain and the microbiome are related to your goals, but they will not directly help you achieve them. How do you prioritize and divide your time between learning about the gut and the brain and doing what you need to do to push your business forward? Okay, Ray, my friend. I hope everybody's listening to this one because this is my gift, I hope to the world is to get people to understand that the reason that I do impact theory and 
health theory, and that I hope you guys are all watching both, is because you're never going to reach your full potential if you don't take care of the body. And to fail to understand that the brain, that thing that creates this virtual reality existence for you, is merely an organ in a much larger ecosystem, and they are all, if they're unhealthy, they are unhealthy together, that if you're not focused on your microbiome, if you're not thinking about the brain and the way that it creates the mind, then you're always gonna be held back. And I was just talking to somebody about this, and one thing that people don't understand are things like ATP. So how do I have the energy to do what I'm doing now? So I work out five days a week, and I eat really, really well to make sure that I'm able to generate at a cellular level, that I'm able to generate the energy that I need to do the things that I wanna do. And like, if you wanna fall in love with something, if you wanna be excited about something, you need to be able to generate the energy. It is really hard to be excited when you're exhausted. And part of the reason that I'm able to work as much as I work is I can generate the energy. So it's not just about being enthusiastic, which is also important, but it's about literally on the cellular level, are you able to get your mitochondria in a place where they're healthy enough to kick off the ATP, which you need to use that energy to move and locomote and get excited and burn calories thinking and all of that. So that is really critical. And then I just think that the microbiome's role in everything is really, really um, undervalued. And I think that's gonna continue to come out as one of the single most important things in medicine, um, which is a stand-in to say that this is all one big ecosystem and ignoring any part of it uh, is a mistake. Now, you asked a slightly different question there at the end, and so I will touch on that, which is how do I divide my time and prioritize? So I'm always going with lead dominoes, and part of the reason that I'm so obsessed with my health is health is a lead domino. If you don't have energy, if you don't have your health, nothing else matters, and you're just not able to build up the excitement, if nothing else, to go pursue that thing. So um, that's why health is such an important thing for me. Uh, so lead domino, right? It Without that, uh, or with that, I should say, so many other things take care of themselves. Energy, enthusiasm, passion, all that. Then, going down that, then I just understand what's most important in my life. So, um, before my business is my wife. And so, another reason that I'm researching the microbiome is because my wife struggles tremendously with the microbiome. And so, I wasn't satisfied that anybody was able to help me um, solve that problem. We had gone to just about every doctor you can imagine. And if you guys know Mrs. Zabotsky's Law, um, which was introduced to me by a guest on the show, um, Abraham, oh God, why am I blanking on his first name? Anybody, come to my rescue, Chase. The guy that directed Airplane. Oh, I'm really failing myself. Jay Abrams? God, no, no, no. <laughs> anyway, the guy that directed Airplane, an amazing guy, and I'm totally blanking on his name, uh, but it's Abrams is his last name. I'm forgetting his first name. Uh, anyway, he said uh, he learned a powerful lesson as a kid. He calls it Mrs. Zabotsky's Law. And it was this woman who was watching her neighbor's house burn. And the fire department couldn't get the hose on it. And so they were spraying, spraying, spraying. And it wasn't going out. And so um, she, Mrs. Zabotsky, comes out and says, Guys, look, come stand on my porch. From my porch, you'll be able to put the fire out. The fire department came, stood on her porch, and put it out. And he realized in that moment, don't ever assume that you can't do somebody's job better than they can. And I love that. And so I started originally learning about the microbiome because I decided I wasn't going to assume that I couldn't do the doctor's job better than they could. Um, and so I give that to you all. Mrs. Zabotsky's Law. And we all owe... Jim Abrams. Jim Abrams. There we go. We all owe Jim Abrams a debt of gratitude for that one. 
Um, so yeah, there it is. All right, next up, Jenna Robinson. How do you deal with disappointment when you feel like you've worked a lot harder than the people around you and still get worse results. It's given me an underlying fear that I might never be smart enough to achieve what I want to. How can I bounce back from this and make sure it doesn't happen again in the future? Oh God, Jenna, you've given us all a gift. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. All right, so here it is. The reality is comparison is a thief of joy. So you need to stop comparing yourself to other people. It is really frustrating to me that there are so many things that other people seem to do with virtually no effort and they get a massive result, and I have to kill myself, and I get sometimes an equal result, sometimes a lesser result, and it could be from eating clean and exercising, I just seem to get shit results. And then the other side is, it could be uh, you know business things like math. Oh dear God, nothing in math comes easily to me, and it is literally like fumbling around in a black box. It's crazy. Um, so it is, very difficult to struggle like that while comparing yourself to other people because it will be demoralizing. What you need to do is figure out what is it that you're trying to accomplish in your life, what do you wanna do, what do you wanna get out of your life, and focus on pouring all of your energy into getting great at the things that you need to be great at in order to get to your goals, outsource what you can outsource, but never be afraid to um, get good at things even if you're not getting early wins, but don't worry about whether or not that you're getting wins at the same pace as somebody else because you may actually be getting great. You may actually be pulling way ahead of the vast majority of humanity, but because you happen to be comparing yourself to the people that are closest to you, you think you're terrible when really you may be marching every day towards the extraordinary and be better than virtually everybody else, but you're simply looking at those people that are super close to you. So that's a trap. Don't fall into that trap, stop doing that. Now the other thing is you really may suck. And if you suck, just remember, you only suck now, you're not good yet. And when you slap on that word yet and you understand that putting in that time and energy to get better is critical. And so if you're not getting the results that you want, the answer is always more. It is more time, it is more effort, it is more energy, it's more work, and that's just the reality of it. That's the way that the human experience goes. Sometimes you have to pour way more time and energy into something than you want to be true, but if it's something that you love, if it's something that gives you more energy than it takes, if it's something that you feel serves the world in a way that you want to serve the world in. If you have a why, a mission, a reason, like there's so much purpose and meaning to you in pouring yourself into that and getting extraordinary in that, then it doesn't matter if you're the best ever. That very process of striving towards gaining mastery is going to be worth it and that when you're not building your ego around being right or being good or being better than everybody else, which I am guessing you do, when you can break the bondage, and that is real bondage, When you can break the bondage of feeling like you have to be better than everybody else, uh, that you have to be good to be worthy, that you have to be right to be worthy, that you have to be smart to be worthy, once you break the bondage of all that and understand that you can build your self-esteem around something entirely different and that entirely different thing is being a learner, that the very thing you value yourself for is being willing to look at your inadequacies, being willing to spend the time and the energy to get great. When you do that, when you reward yourself emotionally for trying, for putting in the energy, for not being afraid to admit that you're not yet good, for being able to be excited for the person that's better than you at something that you really admire and really want to be good at, 
because it happens a lot. And when you can be stoked for that person and not let it damage your self-esteem that you're not there yet, then, then all of a sudden the emotional baggage is lifted and you have the energy and enthusiasm to go do that thing and to keep getting better because you enjoy it. So comparison is the thief of joy. The process itself should be enjoyable because you are the learner and that's where your pride comes from. And so you should be emotionally rewarding yourself for putting in the energy. That's the joy. That's how you find fulfillment. That's how you actually enjoy the process. Joe. I'm very logic-driven and cold in my thinking and my mental process. My wife is very emotionally driven and highly susceptible to drastic depressive mood swings at times, causing an almost paralyzed state in which none of our daily tasks will get done. I'm the type of person that being close to a person in that state will also drag me into it as well. How can I stay motivated and also be there for my partner without letting myself fall into the hole as well? Okay, so we're gonna need rules of engagement. We need to fully acknowledge what we're going to do when the person is in that state. You're going to approach them in a state of emotional sobriety when they're not in a depressive state and we're gonna talk about how exactly we're gonna handle that because us both going down into a depressive state, that doesn't make any sense. And so you're going to define things and you're gonna say, okay, at some point what you need is just empathy. You don't need me coming in and trying to solve the problem. You just need to know that somebody loves you, they recognize that you're in a bad place, and they love you even in that place. That's critical. That allows people to lower their defenses, to not feel like they're fighting for their lives or that they're all on their own, that you can literally just let them know, even there, even at their worst, even at their lowest, that you still love them, and you still care about them, and you still want them to win, and you're not going to try to solve the problem. You're just going to let them be where they are. But then there's going to be a finite period of time where that is the acceptable response. You guys are going to define it together. Whatever the answer is, as long as it's not crazy, I think it should be measured in hours. I do not think it should be measured in days. Once that period of time is over, we go into fix-it mode. We begin to solve the problem and we start using cognitive behavioral therapy techniques to get them out of that depressive state, to get them doing things like meditating, making sure that they're eating right, making sure that they're exercising, making sure that they're using positive affirmations, that they're repeating something that is uplifting, that whatever physical things that they're doing that are feeding into that, it could be as simple as slouch posture, it could be um, needing to get up and laugh and go outside and get some sun, uh, watch a comedy, whatever it is that we need to do, we're gonna start taking immediate action to make the changes, to get out of that state, and then, most importantly, you're both going to agree that you're not going to join them in that depressive state and that you are going to be upbeat, that you yourself are going to do the things, that you're going to engage in things that make you happy, that put a smile on your face, um, and that it's very okay that the other person, when they're emotionally sober, should acknowledge they do not want you to come down with them. And not only that they don't want you to, because when they're depressed, they may actually want you to but that they're acknowledging from that heightened state of emotional sobriety that they're going to say that not only do I not want it, it would be pretty gross of me to want it. So if that lesser version of myself begins to rear its ugly head, that you need to know that my sober version of myself is telling you don't get sucked in. Don't come down to my level. And if you need to give them space, give them space. But whatever it is, you're gonna come up with those rules ahead of time for how you're going to get them back out and then help them get back out and be true to what you said you were going to do. That is absolutely critical. Rules of engagement, rules of engagement, where when you are emotionally sober, you guys define the rules and then you stick to them. All right, Greg Walker.
I'm 42 and have done a 180 on my life. I'm striving for success in my personal health and business career, but feel that it is at the expense of my family life. How do you stay razor focused on your goals and stay balanced in your personal life? Okay, so I'm not a great person to ask questions about balance uh, because I don't live like that, but follow my logic. And if you think my logic is sound, then fantastic. So this all comes down to what's important to you. So if what's important to you is spending time with your family, really connecting there and really being a great father, then don't be conflicted on the other side of the business. Go in, be a linchpin, work your ass off, do your best to be really great at your job, but understand that you, part of why you're being so efficient and so great at your job is because they're just hard and fast timelines and you work your nine hours or whatever it is that you're gonna work and then you go home and you fully engage in either place. So when you leave, man, you leave work behind. You're not bringing it home with you. You're not checking emails. You're not answering your phone, whatever. And let me tell you, if you fucking crush it every day in your job and you say, but here's the ABCs of me, baby, is that when I'm gone, I'm gone. They're gonna be chill with that because when you're there, you're a murderer and you're killing it. So it comes down to how deadly efficient you can be and how great you are at your job and whether you're making the work environment better. If you are, I'm telling you right now, you can draw that hard and fast line. Then when you're home, you're completely engaged and you're not at work. So that is the easiest way from a logic perspective just to get to that balance, to make sure that you're killing it at both, make sure that when you're doing that one thing, you're doing it all in, you're not playing on your phone or worried about work, or stressing out or any of that. Um, so yeah, that would be uh, my advice. Now again, I don't live that, so you'll have to give me feedback and let me know if that works, but I would just carve them out in terms of time, be all in, be super engaged, know what's important to you, and know that if you wanna be an amazing parent, then that requires time. And so give that time, give it freely, don't be conflicted, and if you wanna be amazing at your job, but you have balance issues at home, then you're gonna to have to be focusing on efficiency, uh, improvement, getting better at your job, really pushing yourself, being all in, being supportive, being upbeat, being an awesome contributor at work so that you can make that demand that you're not gonna be able to make it up in just a bunch of extra time, but you're gonna make sure that you eke every moment out that you're there. All right, last question. Daniel Breeze. What is up, Daniel Breeze? Tom, you don't believe in work-life balance. Hey, that's clear. You are the most fulfilled when you pour yourself into the work with the caveat that you believe in what you're trying to accomplish. Do you expect the same worldview from the people that you work with? Is that something you look for during the hiring process or do you encourage them to be in exploration mode while they're young, making sure they're not prematurely optimizing. This, this is amazing, like people are able to predict so much of my answer. So um, I do love working with people that think like I think, those are the people that I relate to the most. That creates the most amazing atmosphere and you can get away with that when you're small. As you scale, I think it is absolutely unavoidable that there are gonna be three types of people in the organization. Type number one is what we're gonna call a continuity player. Now, I need continuity players to tell me that they're continuity players and what a continuity player is, is they are punching a clock. They're there from nine to five, they wanna be good at their job, uh, but they're going to do their job and that's it and they're gonna be good. They're going to be a continuity player. They're going to do what I expect and that's it. And they're um, looking for, um, you know, sort of uh, their raises to keep up with inflation, but that's about all they can expect, quite frankly. Um, and companies need that. And that's just the reality of a workforce. As you get bigger, you're going to have people like that. And I think some of those people are just astonishingly beautiful human beings. And so I'm all for having them as long as they're making, um, I say neutral or better. If they're making the place uh, neutral or they're actually adding to the environment, uh, the work environment, 
men I'm all for it, as long as they're good at their job. Then you've got linchpins, people that are coming in, man, they are more than nine to five. They are really giving themselves over. They wanna be great at their job. But at the end of the day, they're not an entrepreneur. They're not a risk taker. They're not somebody that's just gonna be looking around at all the problems and all the divisions and making them go away. They just wanna be the best that they can at their job and they really take pride in getting great, being exceptional. Um, but they work within the sort of normal confines and we'll call this the upper out mentality. So they're going to put themselves on the track of being a linchpin and they're either gonna get promoted or eventually they're gonna hit a point where they stall out and some companies actually make them exit at that point. Uh, but I find people that are really linchpins, if there's no longer growth opportunity, they usually do leave at that point unless you're able to really create something in the culture where they just don't want to be away from it. Um, so that's the traditional thing that you'll find in most companies. So continuity and what's often referred to as up and out. I much prefer Seth Godin's lingo of a linchpin, somebody who sees themselves as an artist where they're really trying to be phenomenal at their job. The third thing that you're gonna find as you scale are entrepreneurs. Now they may be intrapreneurs and they may be true entrepreneurs. Intrapreneurs are every entrepreneur's fantasy because you want somebody that thinks like an entrepreneur but wants to be within the stability of a company but they're problem solvers. They don't think about like, oh, this is my job, this is my lane. They are not in any way, shape or form trying to stay in their lane. They are trying to solve problems. They're trying to do whatever it takes to solve problems, to think creatively, to go where we've never gone before, to do the things that we've never done, to learn new things, to push the boundaries of the very company. They can be very disruptive in that they're always trying to shake things up. They're looking for that way to reinvent, to keep everybody fresh and moving forward, and they're worth their weight in gold. Entrepreneurs, on the other hand, while incredibly powerful, usually only have them for a very limited amount of time. So to me, they're actually not as valuable as an intrapreneur, um, somebody that really wants to stay within that umbrella of the company, but they're really thinking like an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur has to be their own boss. They have to work for themselves. They usually have a little bit of friction uh, when there's somebody over them, and I will put myself in that category. I'm a terrible employee. So those are the 3.5 uh, different types of people that you're going to have in your organization, and I love all the types. Um, I think you get my sense of um, where I see myself, and, and when I'm small, for sure, I like to be surrounded uh, by a bunch of linchpins or entrepreneurs. Um, that's always the fantasy, but honestly, I'll take people as long as they're excitable, as long as they're excited about their job, and as long as they support their teammates, man. I just cannot stress enough how beautiful that is when people want to help their teammates. It is so fucking rad. Go want to help your teammates. Um, and then my big thing, and this isn't at all what you asked, but I'm gonna answer it anyway because I think it's so fucking important. Principles. You have to be able to hear truth and you have to be able to speak truth. Those two things are critical to a culture that is fun to be around because you're never guessing what people think and you take your little lumps as you go instead of, that just icky, gross feeling that you have that people are talking behind your back, that you don't know what people think, you never know where you stand with anybody, the culture is super toxic, there's a lot of backstabbing, gossiping, bitching, all that stuff, which is just an absolute catastrophe. And I will never, I will never work in an organization like that. Ever, ever, ever. So, all right, there you have it, yay! All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of AMA. If you want to hear your questions answered, please do go to uh, send an email to connect at impacttheory.com. Again, that's connect at impacttheory.com. By the way, if anybody out there is into comic books, if you write, if you draw, if you color, if you letter, I'm going to be at San Diego Comic Con this weekend. 
This goes out in time for this weekend, right? Okay, so this is uh, what, like the 20th-ish of July. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we're gonna be doing portfolio reviews. We are building something unlike anything you've ever seen. If you are a creator, we wanna see you there. Come say what's up, show us your portfolio. It's gonna be amazing. Again, San Diego Comic-Con this weekend. Cannot wait to see you guys. It's from like 12.30 to 2, 10 to 12.30, something. Check it out, we'll post about it. Uh, But join us, can't wait to see you. I cannot wait to show you guys what we're making. It's amazing. All right guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And if you're listening to this on the podcast, by the way, go immediately to whatever your podcast listening device of choice is, rate and review. That would be so huge. Rate and review, rate and review. Uh, That would be amazing. It would absolutely mean the world to me. So if I've ever added any value to you and you're wondering how you can uh, thank us, the whole team here, That would be incredible. Rate and review. All right, guys, much love. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, be legendary. Take care. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.